think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk at your game preview. It's Doug Lamarie, special guest John Steffi from the Cedar Rapids Gazette and thegazette.com. Nathan and Stephen will be along a little bit later, but we want to dig in on Iowa stuff first of all. And John, to be fair, we'll start with the thing that Iowa does well, which is defense, because we know it's not offense. I am curious, Riley Moss, one of the best corners in the Big Ten. I think if you're going to try to slow down Ohio State, you have to cover how good is this guy? Put him in context. He's been an all Big Ten player. How good is Riley Moss? Well, Big Ten defensive back of the year. You see how he's not perfect. He's made some mistakes. You look at Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl. It was kind of partially his mistake that led to the big play that led to the go-ahead touchdown. So he's not a perfect guy, but somebody who early on in the season last year was a turnover machine. And really somebody that's consistent. You see, especially earlier on this season this year, there weren't a ton of opposing quarterbacks who were really challenging him frequently. So he's certainly a talented guy. And I think the game changer this year a little bit is the guy on the other side of him, Cooper DeGene, who sometimes plays Iowa's cash safety, which is kind of a fancy way of basically saying a nickel safety. So having Moss and DeGene both, so Moss oftentimes plays that safety position, but because of injuries, has played a lot of corner. So this is really the strength is this defense. And the secondary was a part that maybe would have been a question mark going into the year. But when you have Moss coming back and not pursuing the NFL draft, that was big. Having young guys like DeGene emerge, it really is a spot where You see why Iowa prides itself on so many turnovers. They haven't forced as many as they would like. And of course, there's the whole analytics conversation of how much of that is luck versus making plays. I think Iowa would tell you it's more so making plays, but a couple of different thoughts on that. So is Xavier Wampa playing? Yes and no. So he's playing in a limited extent. You'll probably see him a lot on special teams. That's been an area where he's gotten a lot of time. He's been getting a little bit of time here and there on defense. And if this game gets as out of reach as I think is quite possible, we could be seeing more of him on defense than 
we've seen maybe in past games. So you'll certainly see number one out there, but he's not exactly the star player of this defense in typical Kurt Ferentz fashion. He is behind on the depth. Well, he's not listed on the depth chart, but one of the guys ahead of him at safety is a former walk-on who's kind of a quote-unquote good story. Oh, cool. Um, (laughs) Xavier Wampa, again, Ohio Buckeye Talk listeners know he was a, a safety from Iowa high school safety that Ohio state really wanted and, and the Hawkeyes beat the Buckeyes for him. So um, that's why I asked about him. Listen, there's been, you know, Micah Hyde, um, Desmond King, Joshua Jackson. I mean, the last time these teams played in 2017, he had like 40 million picks second round corner. I was produced some good defensive backs. It's, it's more, you have to have more than one, but like when you start to look for anybody, if you're going to hang with Ohio State, you have to be able to cover. I'm intrigued about Penn State and Joey Porter Jr. and some of the you know the guys they'll have back there, Jair Brown, stuff like that. Like, it, does this secondary qualify that like maybe can hang, can make it hard, can do something to throw CJ Stroud off stride? Like, is you said the secondary is the strength of the team, right? It, like, do you think they can hang? Certainly one of the strengths, this whole defense is really strong. I think if you're playing against any of the other, aside from Michigan as well, you'd probably confidently say that, okay, yeah, they can keep Iowa in it. Against Ohio State, though, it could be tough. Um, I look at how much teams like Michigan, especially early on, Michigan really gave them a hard time particularly running the ball. And then that set up JJ McCarthy. Well, is JJ McCarthy's first road start for a sold out Kinnick. And the secondary wasn't necessarily turning the game over. So it's possible that they could get some turnovers. It really goes down to turnovers, especially with their play style of just avoid the big plays and force turnovers. It's kind of their MO. So if they can force turnovers, I think it could be interesting, but there have also been cases of this secondary getting burned. Last year, David Bell had something like 240 receiving yards against Iowa's secondary. So there are cases where the secondary has not been perfect, too. Jack Campbell at linebacker was our Cleveland.com preseason Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. I over at Big, at Big Ten Media Days, I went over like to tell him that. And then somebody else at the at the table kind of like told him that like right before I was going to tell him. And I should have like a little certificate or something to give him, but I did. And then like, he was like, what? I don't care. What, who wants? So then I didn't want to be like, oh yeah, the thing that you don't care about, that's from us. So I didn't, <laughs> but that's what people thought of this guy coming into the year. Again, it's like Ohio State hasn't played Iowa since 2017. We don't know what the heck Jack Campbell does. Is he a run stuffer? Is he a sideline to sideline chase down running backs? Is he great in coverage? What makes Jack Campbell good? And how has he played this year? First of all, it does not surprise me at all that he deflected credit for the award. He's one of the most humble guys. Also, it's like a fake award. So, I mean, like, I I get that he's humble. He's probably humble. But also, he was like, who? I don't, what? They're fake. So, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so very team-first-oriented guy whenever he speaks in media. But the short answer to what exactly he does is it's kind of an all-of-the-above situation where he's just everywhere. That's the way that he just has Harbaugh said it really well last year when he said he has a nose for the football. 
And it seems like he's just this omnipresent guy who has a knack for making plays, knowing where the ball is going, reading defenses, communicating. Um, One interesting facet of the linebacking core that going into the year was really strong where you had potentially three NFL caliber linebackers in essentially a four five but they have now one guy out for the season and Jay Higgins has been the guy who stepped up. And one of the things he said today was about, was giving some credit to Jack Campbell because when you're playing next to a guy like that, who's as good at as many different things as he is, it makes life easier for somebody coming in. So certainly a lot of different things, a really great tackler. If I had to pick out a few things in particular, I'd say great tackler, really good instincts. Um, This is a guy that just doesn't take any plays off. It is not shocking if we see some kind of scab or blood or scratch or something from him post game, but he just plays with that much intensity. Does Iowa get after the passer at all? Fourth in the conference in tackles for loss per game at 6.17. You know, AJ Epinesa, some guys in the past, Iowa will get after you. Have they pressured the quarterback or not really? They don't have that one big playmaker who has really stood out. They don't have an Aiden Hutchinson. On Granted, that might not be the most fair comparison, but they don't have that one guy who's really going to blow you away. But you probably have four or five guys who could be at times a challenge for quarterbacks. Bill Parker, defensive coordinator, is not a very heavy blitzer, so it does affect their sack numbers. But when you look at a guy like Lucas Van Ness, young guy, sophomore, he's somebody who led the team, had a share for the lead on the team in sacks last year. He can certainly, at times when opportunities present themselves, get after the quarterback. I don't know, though what that's going to look like with Ohio State's strength on the offensive line. Michigan seemed to dominate the line of scrimmage, and it sounds like Ohio State's offensive line might be even better. So I'm sure a few people in Columbus don't mind me saying that. Yeah. All right. So I just did your podcast and like ripped Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz for like 15 (laughs) minutes, and you said everybody in Iowa City might buy me a drink. Like, Yeah, or maybe two. People are sick of it like i tweet about it a lot i've kind of glommed onto it and i'm like a simpleton so like if i see a shiny object then i'm just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again um how upset are iowa fans about the fact that they have potentially the worst offense in the country and it's run by the coach's kid how would you describe where fans are with that On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being absolutely angry and 1 being, oh, everything is just fine and dandy, I would put it probably at a 12 or a 13. Oh, that's a great setup. I was like, oh, you better not say 6.5. You better not say (laughs) 6.5. Boom shakalaka. Oh, bring it. They're that bad. Great. Yeah. I've gotten anonymous things sent to me in the mail complaining about Brian Ferentz. I hear about it all the time from the fan base. Fans are really frustrated. You've seen this before. This is like a totally new problem where you look at last year, they win 10 games, 
but it was really in spite of the offense where they were completing, I think the overall number is 55% of their passes between the two quarterbacks. So things weren't great last year, but at least the defense and special teams did enough to get by. But then when everything has just gotten worse this year, it's really tough for fans to stomach. And especially after expectations were so high, they sold out the entire season a month before the first game. And you have all these fans who are excited for the team. And then first game is a seven to three win against South Dakota state. And the seven points came from two safeties and a field goal. So frustration is definitely building. Now Kirk has a lot of job security, which in turn translates to some job security for Brian Ferentz. Gary Barta is technically AD Gary Barta. Probably heard him a few times from the CFP committee discussions. He's technically Brian Ferentz's supervisor to get around the university's nepotism policy. But in reality, if Kirk, if Brian Ferentz is going to go, it's going to be a result of Kirk's decision and not Gary Barta's. I'm going to keep talking about this all year. <laughs> Do you think it would be that Kirk would quit? Like, is that how Brian Ferentz loses his job? Because Kirk's like, there's enough pressure of like, you, your kid can't be here. And Kirk says, then I'm out. I don't want to put you on the spot. You got to cover the guy. Maybe I'll just say that. I won't fire my kid. It's it's both of us or it's none of us. And then everybody and I would be like, well, it's been a great run, but it's none of you then. I think it's safe to say that Kirk Ferentz very much would not want to fire Brian Ferentz. And you're that so magnanimous. Alone. You're such a sweet young guy. You're so <laughs> he would very much not want to fire his son. I'm such a crusty. It's like we're different humans. We're different species. <laughs> I'm such a crusty, cranky, old. Ugh, and you're just a breath of fresh air. Kirk Ferentz would very much not want to fire Brian Ferentz. That's the nicest thing. That's the nicest way that could ever be said. Okay, I'll say it a little more bluntly. No, no, no. No, I don't want you. Don't be like me. It's not <laughs> worth it. All right, whatever you want to do. Go ahead. Yeah, so Kirk Ferentz, if it's up to him, I would be absolutely shocked if there were to be a change. Now, I don't think that anybody really has the authority to force Kirk to do it, really, because technically Barra is his boss, but how much can Barra kick off Kirk when the buyout is $42 million at the end of the season is a whole nother question there. So I think it's more likely to see Brian Ferentz all of a sudden decide to be an NFL position coach or something like that. I think that is a more likely scenario than seeing Brian Ferentz officially be dismissed. Okay. Bill Belichick will make a nice, nice soft landing spot for him as the assistant tight ends coach or something. That's where he started, right? It's like, oh, I, I sent Brian off to the world to my good friend, Bill Belichick, where he did nothing for three years and then came back and started running the Iowa offense. Uh, um, how much of an indictment? Charlie Jones transfers from Iowa. He has 21 catches for 323 yards last year in 14 games. So far at Purdue in seven games, he has 62 catches for 735 yards. He's tripled his number of receptions in half as many games. He is Purdue's go-to guy, and Iowa did not know what to do with him, did not know how to use a guy that might be first-team All-Big Ten this year. 
How much have people in Iowa viewed that as an even further indictment of the incompetence of the Iowa offensive system? I think right away with that first game, Purdue against Penn State, people realized, oh, shoot, this guy is good. And Iowa didn't know how to use him. And there were some people who were saying, well, some fans, I should say, well, okay, he's putting up all these stats, but Purdue lost and Iowa won its first game. Like, do you like winning or do you like stats? Well, you can't make that argument anymore when Purdue is well ahead of Iowa in the Big Ten West standings. And I think it's going to hurt wide receiver recruiting. If I'm an opposing, I think is probably a little bit of understating it. It certainly should impact wide receiver recruiting. If I'm a wide receiver recruit and I'm seeing, okay, this is what happened when Charlie Jones left and went into a better system, it'd be hard to commit to Iowa. Are you sure you didn't see that on a message board post? Do you like winning or do you like stats posted by Kirk's kid BF? Like, <laughs> hey, everybody, do you like winning or do you like stats? Huh? What do you like? I don't know. Can't we there have both? definitely the comments on Twitter about it. Uh, I try to avoid the message boards because yeah. of just how adventuresome of a place it can be. But I feel sad for Iowa fans. Uh, $42 million. What a racket. Coaching. And that's only what an absolute freaking racket. Like, oh no, we have to give Kirk Ferentz a, a $50 million buyout because what if someone steals him away? It's like, what if someone steals him away? You'll live. I don't know. You'll be fine. $42 million buyout. And I the best part of that. His agents too. His agent is too good at his job. And, and they got Iowa over a barrel that Iowa shouldn't be over because Iowa's had two coaches in 60 years and they think, well, what if we don't have Hayden Fry or Kirk Ferentz as our head coach, the program's going to cease to exist. And the reality is, I don't know, maybe you'll make a bad hire. We've seen, and that's by the way, they get scared off by bad hires in Nebraska. They, they get scared off by the other incompetence of other big 10 programs. Really Nebraska is what scares you the most, but just don't be, don't make terrible hires. It doesn't mean you have to tie yourself to Kirk Ferentz and a $50 million anchor that means he gets to hire his whole family because you can't get rid of him because his buyout's still $42 million. $42 million. $42 million. I didn't know it was that big. $42 million would be based on that math if they waited until I think it was January 31st of 2023. Tack on a half million for every month before then. He has a $7 million base contract and $6 million out of the $7 million are guaranteed. And it goes through the 2029 season. I'm going to vomit. What a racket. This is embarrassing. Who gave him this contract? Barda? Fire Barda. Barda gave him this contract? Oh, what do we do without Kirk Ferentz? Oh, my God. For real, Barda, Barda gave it to and him? the new University of Iowa president both signed it. Fire everybody. Fire everybody and start over. Honestly, seriously. And then you let him, we have a, you have a nepotism clause, but then you make it so that he report that Brian Ferentz reports to the AD, AD so you can get around it. Kirk Ferentz is not the king of Iowa. You will live without Kirk Ferentz, but now you are strapped to him and you are all going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. Well, not an ocean, a lake, one <laughs> of the lakes. 
one of the leagues then i didn't know it was this bad quality is bad enough that it makes me want to snap i want to smash my microphone and my computer this is unbelievable i'm sorry and i'm not even around it i'm around it for 15 minutes and i want to set everything on fire i can't believe this is the existence that iowa fans have to deal with hey kirk fire your kid i'm not gonna fire my kid what are you gonna do to me i have a 42 million dollar buyout unbelievable how is this the world can we kick iowa out of the big 10 can kevin warren step in make the contract void kevin warren i don't know can the governor step in can we fix this this is not how the world should work that was one of the big surprises for me when they announced that he signed the contract the day before the citrus bowl loss and they announced it a couple weeks later and the biggest surprise there was wow it isn't like Kirk's going to go anywhere. Great job by Neil Cornrich negotiating that because that really is a tremendous contract for somebody who all the leverage seemed to be on the university side. But then again, they're coming off a 10 win season and maybe that influenced things a little bit. So, yeah, we hear about the big buyouts, but I don't think Iowa is going to mess with a 42 million dollar buyout or higher if they are, were to do it before january 31st is there some billion other iowa billionaires is there somebody i mean like you have like the warren buffett for nebraska right i mean is there a warren buffett in the state of iowa who could just be like i'll take care of the 42 million move on well this is a sound very iowa as i say this but the person who had the big enough donation the couple i should clarify who had the big enough donation to endow his position as head coach. So then he becomes the Moon family head coach. They run the world's largest truck stop. Oh. Yes. So if you're driving on I-80 Are... to Iowa City, you'll see the world's oh, I love largest that truck, truck stop. stop. I love that truck stop. Oh, congratulations to them. That's a fine truck stop. Well done. Have yes. you talked to them? Are they happy with their endowment? Call, I have call not them. asked them that, no. Call them and ask them what they think of their endowed coach keeping his unqualified son as the offensive coordinator. That'd get some juice flowing. Hey, the people who endowed the position are souring on the Ferentz family. Oh, that's a great story for you. <laughs> you know, it's I'm certainly... so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. Neil Cornrich is based in Cleveland. If he gets wind of this, he's going to call me. I can't, I'm so frustrated. It's not how this should work. It's not how this should work. It's not about disrespecting what Kirk Ferentz has done in the past, but to be tied to this, to this degree, and people lose. I get it. People have down years, but it's the nepotism component of this. It seems to me like it's flaunting something. It's like, you, I'm, you can't get rid of me, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's what it reeks of to me. When there are so many qualified people who would kill to be the offensive coordinator at Iowa and you hide behind a thing where it's like, well, you know, that's not how we play. We're going to be a defense first team. It doesn't mean you have to be terrible on the other side of the ball. Oh, I'm so aggro. I knew I was going to be aggravated this week. And now I'm even more aggravated than I realized because you keep giving me information that's riling me up. Oh, but this is why the fans are on a 12 or a 13. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing too is, Like one of Kirk's arguments about like, I think it was the question about, oh yeah, at the Illinois game, he got the question of if he anticipated making these staffing changes during the bye week. And his defense was that this was a 10 game or a 10 win team last year. But part of it too is, 
And historically, Iowa hasn't had a ton of 10-win teams. But when you look at the trend of where things are going, you're just not seeing things going in the right direction where, okay, maybe you lose on a couple of fluke plays and you're three and three because of that. And maybe you played some really tough teams. They played one ranked opponent. Illinois is now in the poll as well. So now there are two teams that are ranked who they have played. But at the time, Illinois was unranked. Michigan at home was the only ranked opponent. And they're three and three. And you have Brian Ferentz saying things like, what would be the upside when somebody asked, what would be the downside of trying a different quarterback? And then the comment about basically equating mobile quarterback play with backyard football. Oh, yeah. Wow. Those are not encouraging signs if you're an Iowa fan. Okay. Iowa fans. Okay. All right. Well, sorry to aggravate. I I hope Ohio state fans found that interesting um, because it's, it is tough because listen, Three and three this year, 10 and four last year, six and two the year before, 10 and three the year before, nine and four the year before. They they went through this stretch um, in, in the middle of the teens where they weren't winning, right? Where it was seven and yeah. six, four and eight, eight and five, seven and six. Didn't finish in the top 25 any of those years. They finished in the final AP 25 the past four years. So like when Kirk Ferentz says, hey, like there is truth to that. Mm-hmm. But also there is a part of your team that's broken. And it's run by your son. And there is absolute truth to that as well. And as you said, you win 10 games last year in spite of the offense. And so why do you have to choose to live that way? And I get it. It's going to be harder to recruit, you know, some dynamic players. You know, it's hard to recruit quarterbacks. I get it. It's not like the Big Ten West is filled with awesome quarterbacks. But that still doesn't mean you have to settle for this. It does not mean that. Go get Ricky Stanzi, man. Go find somebody and develop him. And put him in a scheme with players where he has a chance to succeed. And it's not this. Woo. Okay. John Steppy, <laughs> thegazette.com. If you just put in gazette.com, it'll go to some place in what? Colorado Amsterdam? Springs. Colorado Springs. Don't do that. Don't do Nothing that. Nothing against we don't want to... Colorado Springs Gazette. But I'd much We're... rather you read the Cedar Rapids Gazette. The, the. That's good for like the Ohio State University. The. Maybe you should go with that. The Gazette. Dot com. I might get, I mean, that's not grammatically correct. That's the, with the vowel, Ohio State, the Gazette, but Ohio State people can remember that thegazette.com. John Steppy, uh, one of the best writers you'll find covering Iowa sports. We will see you in Columbus on Saturday. Thanks for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. Thanks for having me. And we will be back with Stephen and Nathan right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
All right, back with Nathan and Steven now. We're going to do our picks at the end, as we always do. Ohio State, a 29.5-point favorite in this one against the Iowa Hawkeyes. But let's talk about what you guys learned this week. A lot of player interviews Wednesday night. Ryan Day, as always, on his radio show Thursday. And then a quick lightning round with reporters. Nathan, I know you were talking with C.J. Stroud on Wednesday night. Is that correct? What What's the vibe from C.J. in the off week? Um, what did he learn? What did he do? How's he feeling? So I was curious with someone like him who is so studious and someone who has such an intellectual approach to this, what do you do during the bye week, do the off week? <laughs> do you spend more time looking at yourself? Do you allow yourself to because it's extra time to look ahead at all, because you're still going to get the same full week this week that you always would for an opponent. But he said it's basically been two full weeks of Iowa, which is probably even more bad news for Iowa, that this is a defense. And maybe because it's Iowa, that was especially the answer this week, because it is a defense that they respect for good reason. And that gave him this extra week to sort of look back over a decade of Phil Parker uh, schemes and tendencies and play calls and the, the various good DBs that they've filtered through that program over the past several years and how Stroud can possibly attack that on Saturday. And his point, you know, we tried to, you know, suss out some, what he's expecting to see from Iowa and sounded like he's not necessarily expecting to see one bland thing or, or one like static thing. Uh, he's sort of expecting that it could be a number of different things, maybe things that they haven't shown yet. So that's for those of us who are just observing this game. That makes it kind of intriguing that maybe Iowa can come out and do something that makes Ohio State have to think a little bit more, be a little bit more creative, make a make a read, those sorts of things that uh, and it won't look just as easy as it does some weeks for Stroud. Iowa also off last week. Right. This is one of those where, hey, nobody has an edge because everybody got healthy. Everybody has two weeks to prep for both you guys. Just the vibe around being around the players. Listen, um, I think, you know, Nathan, you and I talked a lot about Michigan on the Monday pod. And then by the time I asked for rants in the middle of the week, some people were sort of sick of us saying that Michigan is good. You know, I feel like we try to it doesn't mean we're not wrong sometimes, but we tell you when to respect an opponent and when you don't really have to respect an opponent. I think the seemingly to me like over-the-top respect that, and I was in interviews Wednesday night, that some people have expressed for the Iowa defense, I think is fake. Like, I don't believe it. Like, I think of this is, I think a lot of the Iowa defensive stuff is like a house of cards. I have some stats. We'll get into that in a little bit. But for both you guys, the, the offensive players on Wednesday night, I don't know. They have to say this stuff. Do you believe them? Is it real? Do they actually think Iowa's this good? Are they just saying stuff because Iowa's defensive stats are decent? I don't believe them. I don't believe one bit about it. I think think they respect Iowa as a Big Ten opponent who has shown some good things on defense and who might be able to challenge them in a way that no other team in Ohio State's schedule to this point has challenged them. But also, it's not like Ohio State's played the most elite defenses in the world to start the season. So I do think a lot of this is just tongue-in-cheek and a combination of Ryan Day feeding them this, like, redemption arc of remember what happened to this offense last time it played Iowa, which I think is also getting oversold a little bit because 
Jerron Cage is the only player who was on that roster. Everybody else who was getting asked questions on Thursday were like seventh graders when that game happened. So they had no relation on on Wednesday. They had no relation to this game whatsoever. And so I get it. You're being respectful to your opponent, but also, look, Ohio State's got the best offense in the country, and Iowa hasn't seen anything like it. I believe they have a certain level of respect for the Iowa defense. I mean, Iowa's secondary has guys – historically who are big 10 defensive back of the year they've got one on their roster right now they've thorpe award winners and finalists like they get guys at that level so i think and and i think they respect phil parker it's the 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 respect the things that they're saying about the offense right now are fake like like ryan day trying today to talk about complimentary football and how how iowa really does an outstanding job running the ball and control like that's fake that is the fakest thing since whatever i don't even know it's synthetic something like it's fake. Uh, I think there is a certain measure of real respect for this defense, at least relative to the big 10. There's going to be other teams that they play where they can't even say that they respect the defense very soon on this schedule. Iowa is giving up uh, 9.8 points per game, which is second best in the big 10 behind Illinois teams that Ohio state has already played. Wisconsin is seventh in the big 10, 21.6 points per game. And this is not just in big 10 games. This is games overall. Mm-hmm. Rutgers is eighth, giving up 22 points per game. Uh, Michigan state is 11th, giving up 27.1 points per game. But there's a reason I was giving up fewer than 10 points per game. And again, we'll get into that a, a little bit later. Um, Nathan, just that with Ryan Day, what was the vibe from Day on his radio show Thursday, on his lightning round Thursday? Are there health updates? Are there things you learned about where his head's at right now? So yeah, obviously a lot of eyes on Jackson Smith and Jigbo. We saw him working out a little extra after practice on Wednesday. It looked like he had been through a normal practice routine as far as we could tell. And then he was catching some off of the whatever football pitching machine is that they were using for him zipping some balls at him not a lot of movement from him I'm not saying he was restricted in his movement I'm saying that we just didn't see him move a lot it was a lot of stationary stuff and and short steps and he wasn't running so I don't know what he looks like when he runs right now we saw him a couple weeks ago a little bit in Ohio State when he was doing that routine before the Rutgers game but we didn't get to watch him work out in full um day is keeping the cards on that close to his best not really giving any real updates other than to say that he's optimistic and in feeling better about Smith and Jigby returning than he has in weeks. But certainly the, at the very least, all you can say is that there's real progress here that you're, you know, each time we see him, it seems like another threshold is maybe being crossed. And he, he spoke more generally about, um, we're going to get some guys back this week, that sort of thing, because of the, the the extra time of the off week. And there aren't that many guys he could really be talking about that weren't playing at all and now would be playing. It's it's like Smith and Jigba and Tyler Friday. Like there aren't that many that were like on that border of like being completely out and coming back. Mayan Williams would be another one, and he said today he'll be at full strength. So um, that's really the big one. And I would just tell people. Get the text, 614-350-3315, 9 a.m. As soon as that status report comes out, it'll be on your phone. And Sorry, we had Mark. another one this week, right? You, you guys saw Court Williams with a big his arm, right. a big sling, and then that was on Wednesday, and then you texted that, and by Thursday, Ryan Day was saying like he has a long-term injury, right? Yeah, we uh, Stephen was actually the one who 
uh, saw him and we were sitting on opposite sides of the lobby and like started gesturing wildly to me to get my attention so that I could text that out to our, our followers. So good on Steven to, to, cause I had my head down doing something. Um, but it, the best way I can describe it is it, and we were talking about it in the lobby there. It's very reminiscent of what Cody Simon had on his left shoulder, left arm, the sling, the brace, the whole contraption, the one that he was wearing when I talked to him before the Rose bowl. And that was because he just had surgery. So I don't know if court Williams has just had surgery, but I know that there's something significant with that arm or shoulder. And Ryan day said today, there's really no timetable to have him back. Is it like a robot arm? A little bit. looks like a bit. robot arm. Yeah. Like I'm cop arm. Uh, not quite that elaborate, but close, but like on the, on the time cop spectrum. Did so Teron Vincent have a robot arm? Yeah, I was going to say that ago. if we had to go like the scale of, of of what robot arm are, I think Teron Vincent's probably top tier level robot arm. And then there's where Cody Simon was. I probably put Court Williams in between those two. Yeah, because Teron Vincent was, I think, sometimes like trying to play with a robot arm and these guys yes. were not. Yeah, This was more just about protection and comfort and keeping it uh, still, not mm-hmm. protecting it for a game. And I'm not being dismissive of like these guys having serious injuries. It's like this is like this is big time serious stuff that if a normal person was like, oh, my gosh, my arm has to be in this kind of position. Be like, I don't know. Can you are you not going to use your arm for two years? And these guys are like, OK, well, you know, I had a thing. I might have yeah. to have a surgery or not a surgery. I'm going to rehab. They're going to the trainer's going to be back ready. I'm going to play football again. It's like a remarkable thing that sometimes we can take for granted what people's bodies go through uh, to come back and play this sport. So disappointing for court Williams. Hope he gets back healthy very quickly. Uh, Steven, you were talking with Marvin Harrison jr. On Wednesday can I, night. Can I sneak in real quick? I just, I want to sneak in yeah. one more thing on the injuries because we've been following the Jordan Hancock yep. thing closely. Mm. That's the, that, that yes. slipped my mind when I said that before, but that's another guy they could have been talking about guys. They could get back. And he was also kind of lingering after practice, doing some extra work. Looked like he was full pads, helmet, everything getting into practice. So I don't know that he'll play Saturday, but again, definitive progress for him you thought Sorry. more maybe more than you'd seen from jordan hancock on other wednesdays yes like we've seen him involved and we've seen him even dressed and on the sideline at games in a way that other injured guys aren't but this was him like he was actually getting in some extra movements after practice so we'll see okay so steven i know you were with marvin what's like the the vibe from the receiver room about the potential return of Jackson and what that may mean for all the receivers in the entire passing game. Yeah. Marvin Harrison was saying that as a defensive coordinator, you pretty much have to say, say your prayers and pick one. Cause that's a lot of weapons to have to deal with, whether you're talking about the receivers or you're talking about the running backs, which is pretty funny, but I, I think it's interesting. What's interesting here is how is this dynamic is going to work? Because Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming have clearly proven themselves at this point. But Jackson Smith the Jigba is still Jackson Smith the Jigba, and he demands the ball. So the question is, what's, what's the question all of 2015 is, Was is this too much talent? And how is Ohio State going to devy up the ball? Who gets touches? Who gets this? Who gets that? Who gets what? It might not matter that much this week if, if Jackson's on any type of pitch count or anything like that. But going forward, that's almost a question here. And Marvin was saying it's really not that big of a deal if you're <laughs> – Open, you're getting the ball. If you're not open, you're not getting the ball. It, it'll work out for the best. But there's no net downside to adding another elite weapon to what's already been a pretty elite receiving core this year. 
Yeah, it's not a big deal for Marvin Harrison because he's not leaving the field, so he's still going to get his touches. He's still going to get his That's targets. That's true. And, uh, but I also do think that if this were a situation where you had multiple guys who were like at the terminal year of their careers, either guys who were – a lot of guys who were draft eligible immediately and were probably draft guys or were seniors, I, I think it would be more of a problem. But, you know, Ibuka, Harrison, these guys are coming back. I think Julian Fleming probably would come back at this point because he can be a starter next He's year after Smith and Jigba leaves. Yeah. He's the one guy who probably has to take a lesser role when Smith and Jigba comes back. We're and probably we, going to get the answer to that question of who's actually, and maybe actually well, we'll, we'll never get it fully because Emeka is just like taken off to the stratosphere at this point. But maybe yeah. we'll get an idea of how this would have worked. I envision it being sort yeah. of like a running back situation. Like maybe Ibuka is the Henderson and and Fleming is the Williams, like a two-thirds share or something. I'll be – Mecca's third in the power five in receiving yards per game. Yeah, I think I that's yeah. hard to take off the field. Like, I, I mean, agree. Like, we're like, hey, Marvin's not coming off the field. Well, it's like I get it because it's like an X and a Z thing, but it's like why would Mecca come off the field? Like what is – Mecca is, is actually has more re- receiving yards than, than Marvin does, and I know Marvin is rare and it has a unique body type and all those things, but – um, At the same uh, time, could, like Julian got in here and started immediately catching a bunch of touchdown passes. So it is there, there's value. With all I don't of think he's as dangerous. I don't think he's as dangerous no, down to down as Emeka is. He's not. He's not. Uh, uh, but but I don't think I think I do think like it's not even it's not Jackson's. It's it's Julian's injury early that when Jackson was out and right, right. Julian wasn't mm-hmm. able to step in and get starter reps and Xavier Johnson is getting reps and that kind of thing that I think that set him back in a Mecca was just like, okay, here we go. So um, I'll, I'll be curious. My guess. I don't know. I don't know that it'll be that Marvin and Jackson are out there every snap and it's like a split at the other spot. I wonder if a Mecca may slide or Jew, like there's no reason somebody can't go take a, da- a series at X for Marvin. Right. I mean, I, I, I do think, <laughs> I don't think because even like two thirds, one third, I don't think running back is going to be two thirds, one third anymore. I think running back's like a split. And it's hard to tell because both guys have been out. Yeah. But my guess would be Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams will more equally share the load the rest of the year, more so than Emeka Abuka and Julian Fleming. Will. Yeah. I think Abuka will be more clearly ahead than either of the running backs would be ahead. Go ahead, Steve, what you're going to say. Yeah, I think we started to see some idea of it because you, you have to pay attention to it when there's only two wide receivers on the field. And then what's Brian Hartline doing since Jackson's not out there and you had Marvin, there were times when it was Marvin and Emeka. There were times where it was Marvin and Julian. There were times where it were Emeka and Julian. So I think we, we talked about this in the preseason, this idea of like Emeka is everybody's backup. I think he's just an aura everywhere at this point. And so we are going to see some situations where it's going to be, a Mecca Marvin and Jackson on the field, but there also might be some situations where it's a Mecca Julian and Jackson on the field. Or we, we also, because Jackson's still working his way back, we're also going to yeah. see what we've been seeing. And that's Marvin, a Mecca and Julian on the field, but a uh, Mecca's everywhere. I don't have a label of Z X or H on him. Everybody else has Z X or H, but he's just kind of everywhere. And it just depends on what Heartline feels like doing at this moment, who maybe needs a breather and who doesn't. But I would not characterize Emeka as everybody's backup anymore. It's like Emeka is no. a starter. He just might move around a little bit more. So I just don't think I, – I think Emeka has reached the point of like, why would that guy come off the – and as much as we, I think, correctly are using 2015 to talk about could there ever be trouble with having too much talent spreading the ball around, they also like – as to your point, Nathan, 
they had two guys who were in their last seasons a year ago at receiver, and they still had the third guy come up and set the Big Ten receiving record. And the other two guys still went in the top 15. So like Jackson got more usage and Garrett and Chris were not negatively affected for their futures by the fact that Jackson Smith and Jigbo was Ohio State's leading receiver. So I do think it's a because all of this matters. What matters the most is how it affects Ohio State's current team and their chances of winning. But it also does matter their futures, their millions of dollars, their draft position. We all know that. But I think we have immediate proof that they figured it out last year. And I don't know that this is more complicated. Yes, the injury kind of makes it a little uh, different. But I, I don't think like these three receivers like demand the ball more than the three guys last year did. And and they right. it like it was fine. The analogy you've made is more to like what the 2015 team where things were, yeah, sketchy. Braxton, and, Michael Thomas, Ezekiel Elliott yeah. couldn't figure it out. But it's but it, the dynamics are so different now with the way this offense runs. Like just I, I'd have to go, you'd have to go back and look. I guess like number of plays, but it just seems like there's there's more opportunities for every receiver than there was back then. So they're naturally just getting more. And there's that's true. It's and it's a back different. Back then dynamic. you were taking up you were taking up 16 plays a game with JT Barrett running the ball. Right. Yeah. And now, like, well, and now it's different. like, yeah. now we live in a world where like, there's been three times in the past two years where we've had three receivers have a hundred yards in the same game. And exactly. that's, and so it's, that's so, the world they live in. So by the time Jackson's been the Jigba was turning it up at the end of last year, it's not like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave really needed a draft boost off of getting a few extra targets per game. Like they were secure. They knew where they were going. They were first round draft picks. So the dynamic in this offense has, has evolved to where, it's not, I don't think lip service when these receivers can talk about like, we're all going to get fed. It doesn't, we're, if it, maybe it's not this game, but it'll be the next game. Like it's, it's, I, I, you know, keep an eye on it, but I think there's reason to believe that just the, the structure has changed so much that that, at least at this position, maybe it won't be an issue. Ryan Day talks about it. Some Urban Meyer talked about it a lot that year, like having like a chart of like how many touches do the playmakers get? Whereas Ryan I think he acknowledges that and was like, hey, you know, Jackson's Jackson and we have a lot for him. But it's saying like if a guy's doubled, he's not going to get the ball. So I think the thing that will happen is Jackson is still going to beat single coverage most of the time. And he'll I think he'll beat double coverage or zone looks that lean his way. He'll still get open a lot of the time. And I do just think Jackson will be the first read a lot because of the way the offense works, because of the slot position here, because of the plays that Ryan Day said they had for him, because of the relationship between C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba. So, and he is going to be doubled less than he was than he was in the opener against Notre Dame because of what's happened, because you're not just going to be satisfied with, eh, eh, single cover Marvin, whatever. Like, you can't do that either. So I do think, I think there's great opportunity here for Jackson to um, be first among equals here. You know, that, it, that the, the, the thing we can't get a read on, cause we could make a bet. We could say, Hey, who's going to, from this point on who will lead Ohio state in receiving yards or who will lead them in receiving the injury, I think is still a factor, right? It's like, well, they took Jackson out a little bit earlier than they took out the other guys, or, you know, they just gave Jackson two series off in the second quarter or whatever that like, I think statistically, there's not a point in trying to do something like that. But I think, Stephen, our eyeballs are going to tell us, like, when they're all on the field, how does CJ read it? How does he attack it? How do defenses defend it? How does Ryan Day call it? And my guess is going to be that in that world, 
Jackson is first among equals because he can work the middle of the field. He has a knack versus man end zone for finding the soft spot. And he, he and CJ do have a connection. Especially with the how does Ryan Day call it part. Because, yes, they do have the connection, CJ and Jackson do. But CJ's made it a point that I'm going to get everybody involved out here, even if Jackson's my best weapon. And defenses are going to pick pick which one they want to take away that game. And sometimes you're just going to have to live with the fact that the other three guys are just having their way because they have so many weapons. But you know, we started to see it a little bit against Michigan State. They calling those, quote, unquote, Jackson plays. Well, now you have Jackson back to run those Jackson plays. So week by week, how many more of those creative play calls that are clearly been put in this offense for Jackson Smith the Jigma do we see? Do we see three of them against Iowa? And did we then do we see like six or seven of them against Penn State? Um, and then, of course, you get to the Michigan game. How many of them does he have in that game? But do you slowly work in some more of that stuff now that you have the guy who those plays were actually designed for instead of, you know, Xavier Johnson? All right, JT Tuimaloa also out Wednesday. Is that correct? He was. He was. He was. And Steven, he was at you practiced on Wednesday, not out Wednesday. No, like out no, doing no, interviews. Out for interviews. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to scare people. Yeah. No, no, no. He was there. Present accounted for. Yes. <laughs> what was, and again, I was reading what you guys wrote. Just like he, what was he talking about that he was maybe apologizing for how he handled some stuff with some holding calls lately? Yeah. So against Michigan State, this was probably like the third or fourth time in the game where they didn't call a holding call or after he didn't had some holding calls that didn't get called. And obviously you start getting frustrated when that stuff starts to build up on you. And they actually called this one, but he had already suffered three or four of them. So he like blew up. He is out there jumping up and down, clearly just like pleading with the refs to please finally call a holding call. Meanwhile, there's a yellow flag that's just hanging on the ground that he doesn't see because he's already so frustrated by the other missed holding calls that he doesn't see this flag on the ground. He's exploding. And I mean, we, you guys have talked to him. He's a pretty laid back, cool, calm, collected guy. So to see him explode like that, one, you know it's serious because he's probably not exploding about anything. But then, two, it's very much out of character for him. And so after he got done with his section where he's given all the, you know, I'm the son of and the grandson of a coach, all the, the, the politically correct answers, I'm just having a conversation with him about some of this stuff. And he's like, yeah, I was pretty frustrated, almost to the point that, like, I had to, like, apologize to my room for just how I acted in that moment just because it was so out of character for him to do that. But it's – JT's having a really good year, but he doesn't necessarily have the tangible stats. And he says he's not a stat guy, and that's cool, but you're 20 years old and you're a defensive end. You'd probably like to get some sacks. And when you're getting held that much, it can probably start to weigh on you and you get to frustration. So he's, it wasn't anything serious. It wasn't like any of his teammates were upset with him for exploding like that, but it's just he felt the need to apologize because it was a little bit out of character for him. But it's, it just kind of goes into this. And even as Jim Knowles was talking about, this guy is making an impact. And he's part of the reason my call is getting some of these sacks because JT is usually the, the guy initiating a lot of this pressure, even if he's not the guy finishing off the play. But everybody wants to be the guy to finish off the play every so often. I did look this up. Um, I'm not 100% sure on this. JT Tumalaba, to my knowledge, the only defensive lineman to be held in college football this year. Nobody else ever gets held. I think we've we've kind of jumped the shark with, I get it. You're really good and yeah. you get held. That, but like – there's like five questions every press conference. Like, oh my god, oh yeah, it didn't. The film is it is it the the greatest injustice in the history of football? It's like guys get held. I don't know what to tell you. 
Like, and, and then like some guys get held and get sacked anyway. So like, I mean, it's yeah. I, like, also it, it, like he's not having an all American season. Like he's good, but like, I have almost think we jumped the shark. Oh, well he's done, you know, I don't know, get sacks too. Like, and I get it. Sack rate. I'm not criticizing. I'm again, I'm like criticizing now the reaction to it. I think yeah. we've gone over the top with like, well, I mean, he's still the best player in the history of college football. He just has no sacks. Like, okay, no, yeah, that, that's it. a bit much. Help. It's, help. It, it's, it's interesting because this is, for me, it was just interesting because this is the first time we've talked to him since that Michigan State game. I really just wanted to talk to him about that one instance. I did, Joey Bosa got held and he had 13 and a half sacks. Chase Young got held and he had 16 and a half sacks. People get held all the time. I, whether it's getting called or not, it's, it's, whatever. It's just like, what for him, I don't. What Day has to say about it, he's going to protect his player. It's more about, hey, JT, yeah. you blew up because of this thing. So, like, how are you handling yeah. all that? But also, as he even said, like, you got to fight through that and, play, and keep playing and find ways to get around it because we've seen plenty of elite football players at all levels find ways to get around holding calls. And I'm pretty sure this is not the first time he's had to deal with holding in his life. No, and it's that's zero percent like criticism of the player. Like uh, he should. Yeah. I, I understand the frustration. I'd be frustrated too. But it's like everybody else can just chill out. It's it, it'll work itself out. It's fine. Um, anything else from Wednesday night that we want to talk about? Any punter talk? Any I don't know. Any long snappers? No. I, it it is interesting how much these guys are buying into the 2017 thing. We can talk about that. It's going to come <sighs> up in my prediction a little bit. But I think it's just funny that we we talked about it. We did a video about it on Tuesday after the initial interviews and day talking about it being a scar. And you've got guys who I don't, there's no chance they even probably watch that game in 2017 talking about you know, Luke Wickler, like, Oh, we're going to get some revenge. Okay. It's, it's um, if you showed this Ohio state team, that game, they'd be watching it and they would say, no, who's, who's the team that I was playing? And they'd be like, no, that's Iowa. That's Ohio State. They'd be like, no, 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 it's not. That what? That's not how the offense looks right now. But who's it? Is it? Is that what is that? And it's like it's Ohio. Rock Coach Day, were you here? You were here for that? Yeah, yeah. No, I was the offensive coordinator. You called really? those plays. You called those plays. Yeah, like it's just it's one of those A things. Pick like six it's, on the opening pit play, huh? It's all. Huh. I mean, the, you know, again, like sports history is just laundry. As we all say, like, it's just, you know, I mean, the fa- the passion of the fans who have been a fan for 50 years, but the players, it's just common laundry. So the idea that, like, oh, well, they did the- oh, they didn't do it to this, this Ohio State, this, this Literally. Ohio State. So, like, that's the thing that's like, but I get it. But the reason they're doing that, and it's funny because... I retweeted, I follow some Patriots guys because like back in that draft when Justin Fields was in the draft, there were some guys who covered the Patriots who thought maybe New England would be in the mix for him. So I got to know a couple of those guys through that. So I still follow them on Twitter and the Patriots are playing the Bears this week. And Bill Belichick went on like a very um, nice description of Justin Fields and why he's dangerous and his talent and how he can make up for mistakes and that kind of thing. And I, and I do think, you know, they ended up taking Mac Jones. If Justin had gotten to the Patriots, I think it could have been interesting. And again, there were Patriots reporters who thought that was possible. So I was like, oh, look at this nice thing that Bill Belichick said about Justin Fields. And then like other people were tweeting, like, everybody knows the more Bill, Bill Belichick praises you, the less respect he has for you. Yeah. And they were like, 
they were saying that about the Bears generally. It wasn't like right. they were mm-hmm. saying, oh, he thinks Justin Fields stinks. But it's like he was saying a bunch of nice stuff about the Bears. And everybody was like, okay, this is the Belichick thing. And every nice thing that Ryan Day or anybody else around Ohio State says about Iowa this week, Nathan, that's what I'm thinking of. It's yes. like, okay. It's the, thing, it's the reverse thing that we've been talking about for a year and a half. It's most of the time, a lot of times what they say publicly reveals they actually think the exact opposite. If they're criticizing you, they think you're great. If they're ignoring you, they think you're awesome. And if they're praising you, they think you have trouble. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily work with opponents because he doesn't come out and like when they're going to play Michigan, just like say they stink because he thinks they're good. So that's, but with individual players, that's, that's true. really true. That but, would be great. That would be a lot of fun. No, I, I was thinking about the, the Belichick analogy with Iowa this week because uh when I as someone who grew up following the Bears and still does like when I see like a seven minute a thousand word diatribe about how great the Bears and Justin Fields are that makes me think like the Bears are going to have like seven minutes of possession and give up like a thousand yards like they're just going to get absolutely blown off the face of the earth on Sunday but I think Bill Belichick actually looks at Justin Fields and what's being done with that team and that offense and sees that he's, there is more there. I think there are some like backhanded compliments or the opposite of that, like some overhanded insults, whatever. Um, and I or, think or almost, he's like, he's like, yes, he's making a point that he does think Justin Fields is good. And he also is probably making the point that he thinks the bears are doing nothing to right. help him. Right. And there could be some of that with things that the Ohio state says about Iowa too. Yeah. Not that they think okay. the offense should be good, but that they think the offense is probably undermining what's going on defensively. All right. When we come back, we're going to make our picks for Ohio State versus Iowa. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan. So I asked if you could tally. We always put this on the site, how mm-hmm. we're doing, because whenever we make our picks each week, then on the site, we also assign a number of Buckeye Talk tokens that we are betting. If you really like something, maybe you bet more. If you're uncertain, you bet fewer tokens. What are, and they're bad. Prepare yourself, people. We're not whipping out like five and one here. This is not great. How are we doing? And each week we make our picks, our over under on the point total and our pick against the spread. How are we this year? Well, actually, I feel like you wanted me to do this because your numbers actually aren't that bad. <laughs> you're, you're against the spread numbers are bad. I think I'm so ahead I, in, I think I'm ahead in money, even though I have a losing record, if I'm right. On against the spread, but we're also picking totals. And you're five and one on totals. Yeah. Now after after going am over, I really? uh, you went over on the last one. So am I really? We all, we all did. We all won the Michigan State bet. That was the best week that we've all had. We all of took. It was. We all gave the points with Ohio State, and they covered. And we all took the over sixty four and a half, and it was sixty nine. So best week we've had. So Doug, you're at one hundred fourteen point five five. One hundred fourteen. Buckeye bucks and 55 Buckeye cents, however we want to say it. And we you're started two, with 100. We started we start with, with 100. 100. So you're the one that's positive right now. Uh, 114.55. So, but you're two and four against the spread, five and one on totals. Uh, Steven is at 94.19, also two and four against the spread, four and two on totals. And hmm. I am at 89.73. I'm the only one that's even break even against the spread, three and three, but I'm two and four on totals. So I'm not doing that bad. I'm just betting large amounts of money in the lo- in the wrong weeks and betting a you, yes. lot less money yeah. in the wrong weeks as well. You do an interesting thing. Like a lot of, let's say, degenerates would bet 
and then when they lose, they'll like double their bet the next week. Well, like you'll sometimes make mm. very confident bets, and then when you lose, you'll make like more conservative bets the next week with smaller totals, and that's why you haven't yeah. been able to like win your way back. I'm overcompensating. Just, mm. just a real quick aside, by the way. So Nathan, I don't know if you know this, but sports betting is coming to Ohio on January 1st. And we're trying to kind of lean into that a little bit at cleveland.com and on Buckeye Talk. So I think it probably would be beneficial if we did not refer to gamblers of any sort as degenerates, maybe going forward. I just, um, okay. Some people People wear that as a badge of honor. Oh, they do? Yeah. Oh. Like in a joking way. Oh, I'm a real degenerate. Oh no! Okay, hey, hey, you de- hey, you degenerate like that? No, no, it's, no, no, no. Then it's yeah. fine. Then it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, degenerate. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, tissue, by the way, and I like didn't know this. I never, I would not have suspected this. He says, bet the same amount on every bet you ever make in your whole life. Like, don't say I'm more confident. I'm well, less confident. He's like, pick, pick your unit. And you just, whether it's five bucks, if I bet in a game, I'm betting five bucks. Because Mm -hmm. I think his point is just bet what you think is going to win. But like your confidence actually probably is not well placed. Right. So he bets the same amount every time. You have to manage the bank. All right, TCU. Whatever kind of gambling you want to do, whether it's sports betting, poker, black, you got to manage the bankroll. You can't get out over your skis on the amount of money you actually have to gamble. No, but that's not. But but the, I understand that. But his point is, bet the same amount on right. every game. But that's really what I he think, means. But, no, I don't think that's what he means. Because like again, if you like to me, if you're more confident, well, I'm going to manage my bankroll. But like I'm, I'm super confident about this. I'm going to bet twice what I normally bet. That would make sense to me. Like right. just in passing, I'm not going to. I can't bet a hundred times what I would normally bet. But it's like my confidence in this bet is double. So I'm going to double my bet. And he says, don't do that. Like, I think like, you're, you're going saying, to yeah. trick yourself and you're going to wind up with a thing where you might have a winning record, but a losing bankroll because the things you're, you were extra confident in, actually, you had no reason to be extra confident in and you're doing okay on your picks, but you're doing bad on your betting. So I, right. I thought that was interesting. Like that's because that's not at all how my brain works. You're saying if you have my $20 brain like, to bet, don't do 15 and five, do 10, 10. Yeah. Yes, that's what he said. All right, you. And then just like have your system, like you go about your business, but kind of don't don't monkey with your bets. Like keep that the same, but and then have a plan for how you. And then over the long run, if you have a good plan, you'll win more than you lose. And if you don't screw yourself up with your betting t- number, you'll come out ahead. So anyway, I'll be, I'll be field testing this for the rest of the season. So. I, no, I'm going to bet like 50 bucks on the one thing this week because I'm super confident and I'm going to bet like $2 on the other thing. So anyway, um, <laughs> this is probably the wrong week to start being. Yeah, that's fair. Cause so, so, oh, yeah, no, no, no. I like what Tishu said. I don't listen to it at all. I mean, like, I, I'm like, I listen to it and take it in. I don't apply it. <laughs> mm. I have my own little Dougie betting system, which is out your butt. And like then a teenager. Like a teenager. Yeah. Like a teenager, so, you listen to your parents, but she don't actually follow directions. No, yeah, no, I don't apply the advice in any way, shape, or form. Love tissue, love the show. Do not apply it in my everyday life. Although, actually, I will admit, um, it's not legal in Ohio. I went to visit visit my daughter in Illinois last week, and sports betting is legal there. And so, um, because of that, I I put together a little account on one of the betting apps. And Tishu loves, and I'll tell him, I sent it to him. He's excited. He, we've adopted the Rice Owls as like one of uh, Tishu's big bets. And so I bet five bucks on Rice last week and they won. 
by like half a point. So like we were all excited. So I don't know what I'm going to do with my $4.61 that I want on that bet, but I'll probably double it on a bet somewhere else and lose it. Okay, let's talk about Iowa, fake Iowa. So Iowa is third in the nation in scoring defense. They are giving up 9.8 points per game. And I just want this to inform our discussion. They played uh, an FCS school, South Dakota State, who I think is actually pretty good, but they only gave up three points to them. But like, I don't, I'm not applying that because you can't. So then the other teams they played, where those teams rank in the nation in scoring offense, Rutgers is, no, let's go. Iowa State is 103 out of 131 teams. Rutgers is 104. Nevada is 110. And Illinois is 87. So they are four of the five major college teams they've played are awful at scoring. Now they did hold them under their average. Iowa State averages 22.9. They scored 10 against Iowa, although that beat Iowa. Nevada scores 21.7. Iowa shut them out. Rutgers scores 22.8. Rutgers scored 10 on Iowa. Illinois scores 26.6. Illinois scored nine on Iowa. And again, that was enough to beat Iowa. The one real offense they've played, Michigan seventh in the nation in scoring per game at 42.7. They scored 27 on Iowa. Michigan in that game, first half, Touchdown, punt, field goal, field goal. I think they had some trouble in the red zone. Second half, touchdown, punt, 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 which briefly fake let Iowa think they had a chance. Then they scored a touchdown to put it away. So nine total possessions in that game for Michigan against Iowa. Three touchdowns, two field goals, four punts. Like even That's the part of it, Nathan, when I said like even the, the stuff about the Iowa defense, Jack Campbell's actually good. Riley Moss is actually good. Phil Parker's a pretty – it's like it, – but it's it's built on a house of sand because they have only played one real offense the whole year. And if you're going to blindly cite, and people don't blindly cite stats anymore. We've evolved past that. But if anyone's pointing and say, oh, third-ranked scoring defense in the country, it's that, Nathan. And that's the part of me that's like, fake, fake, fake. More real than anything about the Iowa offense. But the stats tell you how bad the Iowa offense is. I think the stats can create a false impression of how good the Iowa defense is. I think it might be a solid defense. It is not a great defense, Nathan. Yeah, the problem is that when you even try to go, because I agree with what you're saying about scoring defense, and I think it even applies to things like, oh, uh, Iowa doesn't uh, allow many explosive plays. Well, how many explosive plays does any of those teams break off anyway mm-hmm. against anybody? Yeah, like those no explosive things, so- people, no explosive opponents, no explosive plays. Yeah, so. But then when you look at the metrics, when you try to go to more advanced stuff, those numbers are still saying good things about Iowa. So whether there's some of that is still baked in from last year or whether it's just it's it's just a situation that can, that the robots can't process correctly, I don't know. But I, I think it's all a little bit academic because what they're going to see on Saturday is so far afield from what they've had to face. And I, that's with all due respect to Michigan. It's just a, it's just a different kind of offense now. And... Ohio State is more multifaceted than Michigan is and much more dynamic and I think efficient and consistent with the passing game. So I I, I am kind of throwing out the numbers a little bit um, because I think you're right that this is just – and you, we had a great discussion earlier in the week just about uh, the, the difference between 2017 and now and – uh, the fact that I was, you know, I was talking to other reporters. I was like, I was talking to an Iowa reporter this week and I said, I, we brought up the Purdue thing and how Purdue has kind of owned them. And Purdue is at best like a, a poor man's version of Ohio state in recent years. And that's with usually a poor 
Purdue running game and an iffy Purdue defense when Ohio State is good in both of those things too. So like it, they, he never faced France, never faced Drew Brees. He never faced Russell Wilson. Like this is maybe just something that they have no frame of reference for. This offense can kill you by land. They can kill you by air. And with all due respect to Michigan, Blake Corm is a lot of what makes that engine go. And then a little bit of Donovan Edwards, because even JJ McCarthy, yeah, five-star quarterback, all that stuff is great. And they have some trick, some interesting little wrinkles in their offense. But for the most part, they don't really let him throw past like eight yards most of the time. While CJ is going to throw left, he's going to throw right, he's going to throw north. And then you've got Travion, you've got mine. There's just way too much to think about that. I would quite, as, as Nathan just mentioned, They've never seen an offense like this, quite frankly, because there haven't been a lot of offenses in the Big Ten outside of Columbus like this. Having said all that, I think this could actually be a pretty big game for the run game also, even though Iowa's numbers there are good too, because I don't think Iowa blitzes very much. One of their best... um, They don't. One of their best uh, pass rush guys, they've had to move him inside because of injuries Mm -hmm. at tackle. Like... So they're going to, I guess, try to get something going with four guys and and drop back. And we've seen that Day is willing to take what teams give him now more than he was even in the first half of the Notre Dame game this year. I do think they'll drop drop eight, try to keep everything in front of him, not get beat deep, but also which is like Jackson Smith explosion extravaganza. Mm -hmm nine-yard pass becomes a 50-yard gain kind of stuff, a mecca cross on a crossing route kind of stuff. All right, let's get to our picks. 29 and a half is the number we are using, what Ohio State is favored by. The over-under is 49 and a half. That is not a big total. Steven Means, we will start with you here on Buckeye Talk. What is your pick for Ohio State and Iowa? I think that 49 and a half takes into extent that this Iowa offense is not very good, even if Ohio State's going to score. I went 45 to nothing. Ohio State wins. And that nothing, I'll explain more in our um, outrageous predictions video of why I went with a big uh, goose egg for Iowa. But I just think Ohio State, the only team that's held Ohio State under 40 points this year is Notre Dame. And that's because, as Nathan mentioned earlier, Ohio State was not taking what the defense was giving them till late in the game where they decided to act like they were, you know, this big time jumbo package team all of a sudden and run it 15 times for, for a drive. So outside of that, CJ's done what he's wanted against teams. And when he hasn't done what he's wanted, this running game has done what it's wanted against Steve and they're getting their best weapon back in Jackson Smith, the Jigba. This Iowa's defense has had some good moments, but it's never seen anything like a, like this type of offense. So forty five to nothing, Ohio State, which also gives this defense an opportunity to do something that it hasn't done since twenty nineteen, and that's going to shut up. So you're giving the points with Ohio State, but you are going under the total of forty nine and a half. Nathan, the, what do you have? So I'm usually like the most sober one here. Like we're doing these picks, <laughs> and I, I well, let well, the hey everybody, we're that's here to make the picks r- today. It's a let, really let, good way of describing I, that. I let so. the numbers, the numbers that are out there, guide me a lot. And the numbers say Ohio State should score like somewhere in the mid thirties here. But there were a couple other numbers of my own that I introduced to this sets of numbers. One of them is twenty seventeen, and one of them is forty one to seventeen. So the first one being the twenty seventeen game that. Ohio State keeps bringing up this week and something that is kind of fueling this team. And then the 41-17 is what Michigan did to Penn State last week. Ohio State was off last week. So I kind of added a touchdown for 2017. And then Ohio State off last week, watching the rest of 
the world get excited about Michigan, get excited about Tennessee. And I think there's going to be a little bit of, hey, don't forget about us that I'm going to introduce to the number this week. So I, I thought I was going to maybe be the outrageous one this week. I'm not that different than Steven. I'm saying 48 to nothing. Hey, oh. complete the but trinity. under, 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 under. Like that's going yeah. under, yeah. Like give yeah. the points, but also under, which is also me. I'm I'm exactly with you guys. I have 42 to six, which is <laughs> I'll give the points with Ohio State, but take the under. This under three safeties scares the pants off. Three safeties, yeah, three safeties. Uh, um, the this this total scares the pants off of me. I don't know what you're supposed to do with this because if you think Iowa can score ten. Then I think you take the over, but why would you think that, that Iowa no. can score ten? And all of a sudden, the one thing is, and Nathan, you've talked about this a lot: time of possession. And you've been talking about like, no matter how good the Iowa defense is, they're going to be on the field the whole game because the Iowa offense can't move the ball. The one, one of the differences between the Notre Dame game and the Iowa game, Notre Dame tried to sit on the ball, you know, shorten the game, limit Ohio State possessions. They were kind of effective at that. In the nation, Notre Dame is 24th in the nation in time of possession. They have it over 32 minutes per game. Iowa is 113th in time of possession. They have it 27 minutes and 44 seconds per game. So they are not going to be able to do that, which is why I think Ohio State gets into the 40s. I don't think this is like, hey, Iowa, you know, Iowa hangs around in like a 31 to 10 game, but yet we're still all taking the under. We're barely under the under. Because I do think they're going to keep Ohio State in front of them, try to limit big plays, make Ohio State march the ball a little bit, and then that leads to more like, you know, six or six touchdown drives for Ohio State, not seven or eight, which is what you would need to get over if you think Iowa's literally not going to score a touchdown. We have six total points for Iowa in three picks, two zeros and a six. So that's what we're thinking about this. So I'm, I am fascinated that we're all taking the under, but like for my Buckeye talk tokens, I'm slamming the minus 29 and a half. And I am mm-hmm. barely putting, I'm putting a penny on the total. Cause I have no idea like 52, nothing. And you lose the under bet, right? Like totally possible or 49 to three, right? Iowa manages the field goal in the last, and you know, Kirk Ferentz down 49 I would try could. a 48 yard field goal <laughs> to avoid the shutout and hit the over. Right. So like that scares yep. you too. So those are our picks. We're all giving the 29 and a half. We're all going under the 49 and a half. And that's what we think here on Buckeye Talk. So that will do it. You can go listen to the gambling pod where TSU is really leaning into these first quarter numbers that are really interesting, having a lot of success there. We'll talk about Ohio State. We'll make our picks in the Power Five conferences there. TSU gets into some, into the weeds, gets into some underdog stuff. And then a noon kick Saturday. We will be there. We'll have a post-game pod. And Nathan, I know you're working on something. Um, son of a Buckeye. Son of a Buckeye. Playing for Iowa. What can you tell us about that? People can look for that story on the site Friday. Is that correct? Correct. Friday morning, I'm getting off this call. I'm talking to uh, Jim Lachey, obviously a State former All-American and the uh, radio analyst for the team. And uh, his son, Luke Lachey, is a tight end for Iowa. And there's a bunch of people writing this story this week. So I'm trying to come up with a, a different <laughs> angle than the other 40 people who've, who've already written it this week have done. But I think uh, I want to come at it from the side of more less Luke Lachey coming home, but more like what is it like for a family that like lives and dies scarlet and gray to have to allow a little bit of gold and black into their hearts. And and how do you process that on game day? 
there have to be people who like when you're you're out in the garage and you're hammering and you hit your thumb and you say, son of a Buckeye, right? People have to say that sometimes, right? Like you try to, you know, like, like ah. Flanders. Yeah, like you you stub your toe on the fridge. Son of a Buckeye. If you've ever said that, tell us on the text, 614-350-3315. All right, that's it. Thanks, you guys, for listening. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. Oh, thanks to John Steppy from Iowa. I also went on his podcast, and I just to be clear, on both this podcast and his Iowa podcast, I ripped the pharynxes equally in both, I think. Okay, thanks, you guys, for listening. That was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.